Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We are a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Good morning, everybody. All rocking and rolling. Thanks to all the volunteers who came out on Friday night, and we learned to salsa dance. It was ugly. Salsa dancing is just proof that white men can't dance. There was many a white guy trying to like, and all the men of color were rocking it. Made us feel deeply insecure. I've got in my hand a couple of praise reports, which I, I wanted to give you just to build your faith and also remind you to stay in touch with us just by using these cards or by emailing us at the church. Um, either if you've got something that you need prayer for, or if there's something that you want to give thanks for and God's been good to you about this. Uh, you know, sometimes it's the big and the small, but I love this lady's message. She said, Pastor Steve spoke a few weeks ago about how God helped him to clear out his stock and be his agent when uh, Pastor Steve asked God to come and be his agent when he was in sales years ago. He said, well, I, she said, I prayed to God to be my agent and clear my stock, the dresses that I sell. After a gap of five months, I immediately sold two dresses straight away. God is now my agent. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Uh, Another man wrote in just to say, I thank the Lord for answering my prayer this week. I went for my cancer checkup, and the progress is slow and steady, and my cure continues. So that's awesome. Hey, so encouraging. Shall we pray? And then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that we can be in your house. Thank you that it's a place of joy. Thank you that it's a place of transformation. Thank you that it's a place of vision. Thank you that it's a place where we get to leave an echo. Thank you that it's a place where we get to invest ourselves. Thank you that it's a place where we can be the church. Thank you that we can be a church not of members or of ministers, but uh, not with ministers, but a church of ministers, a, a church of people who are the church. We thank you for that. Would you speak to us from your word this morning? Would you help us, move us, inspire us, change us, challenge us, convict us? Do whatever it is you want to do in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I was reading a story the other day about this beautiful Austrian village up in the Austrian Alps. This village was beautiful and it was bordered by a, a river. This particular river was the thing that brought life to this town. But it brought life to the town because years ago, the town council made an incredibly important and strategic decision to employ a river keeper. They noticed an old man, a real, what they, you know, you could call a forest dweller, like a, almost like a bachy, you know, <laughs> a guy who's just old, old man who loved the area, who loved the town, he loved the mountains, he loved the rivers, and he would be up in the mountains all the time, and they noticed this man, and they asked him if he would become the river keeper. His job was to remove the debris, remove the branches and leaves and things that blocked up the estuary where the river connected to this beautiful lake. The river had its life and its source in this beautiful turquoise blue lake up in the Austrian Alps, but the river keeper's job was to, particularly as the seasons turned and branches and trees fell and leaves fell. His job was to remove those from the estuary and allow the, river, the water to flow from the lake into the river. That was his job, and he did it faithfully, he did it diligently, and he did it effectively. 
Some years passed and a new town council found themselves in power. As the, one of the first things that they did was to look at the budget, to look at the, what was going on in the town, and they noticed a salary that said river keeper. They said to themselves, has anybody ever seen this river keeper? Has anybody ever seen what he does? And the answer came back a resounding no. Nobody's ever seen this man. Nobody's ever seen what he does. But yet the effects of his work was clear. Swans and wildlife was abundant. Businesses moved their premises to the edge and the banks of the river. Tourism boomed. Townsfolk used it as a place of recreation. But still, they'd never seen what he did and they'd never seen the effects of, uh, uh, they'd never seen him do the work. So they made a decision in trying to cut the budget. They decided to terminate the riverkeeper's services. They told him, old man, we don't need you anymore. And so he stopped his work. And for a while, nothing changed. But as the weeks turned into months, slowly the townsfolk started to notice that the color of the water started to change from clear to a brownish color at first, light brown and then darker brown. And they started to notice that the, there was a slimy film that began to develop on the top of the water. And they began to notice that disease became prevalent. Pretty soon the wildlife left. I said in the first service the birds immigrated, but they migrated. <laughs> Tourism dropped, businesses closed, and death came to the village. They put their heads together in an emergency meeting and said, what's changed? What's happened to our river? And somebody raised his hand and said, I wonder if it could be connected to the river keeper who's no longer in employment. They said, well, let's check it out. They did and realized that because his services had been terminated, because the water had not been allowed to flow from the lake into the river, the river had become stagnant and stopped up and diseased and it had decimated their town. In a panic, they went to the riverkeeper and asked, would he consider being re-employed to which he agreed and gradually life returned to the village. The water cleared up, the birds re-emigrated. <laughs> Businesses opened up again, the disease left and the tourists came back. This is a story about influence. We're in a series called a life of influence. This is a, a story about influence because each one of us as followers of Jesus are called to be river keepers of our lives. We're called to bring life and health and vitality and strength to the areas that you and I have influence over, be that our schools, be that our churches, be that our departments and businesses, wherever we find ourselves, we can be river keepers, the ones who bring life and bring health when we're present, right? But this is also a story about thinking. It's a story about how important thinking is. It's a story about how incorrect thinking can bring death. This town council thought incorrectly about the riverkeeper's role, about his influence, about who, what he was up to. And so they terminated his services and it brought death. You know, I wonder to myself sometimes, the way we think, I wonder how much death it sometimes brings to our lives, how much stagnancy it brings to our lives, all linked to our thinking. 
Our thinking is extraordinarily important. Our thinking influences our influence. Talking about thinking, I read a story about an English naval vessel. It found itself in significant trouble just off the coastline of Germany. The ship was going down and it was going down fast. They put down a mayday call. The captain of the ship said, mayday, mayday. Anybody who would hear mayday, mayday, we are sinking. We are sinking. The German coast guard, he picked up the call and he said to the guy, what are you sinking about? (laughs) Can I ask you what you're thinking about now? Maybe you're thinking, what a lame joke. Maybe you're thinking, I wonder how long this sermon's going to go on for. Maybe you're thinking about Sunday lunch. Maybe you're thinking about pizza on the deck. Maybe you're thinking about your date last night. Maybe you're thinking, how does he know I'm thinking about my date (laughs) last night? (laughs) Can I invite you just for a few minutes, all of us together, to just for a few minutes think about what we're thinking about and to think about what we think about. And I invite you in just for a moment, just as a church, for us to pause and think about the story that our thoughts are telling us. Maybe your thoughts tell you certain stories. Maybe it's I always have to do it perfectly. Maybe it's, I'm always going to struggle. Maybe it's, I just can't get it all done. Maybe the story that your thoughts tell yourself is, this is just too hard. Maybe it's, I want it my way or no way. Maybe it's, there's no point to any of this at all. Maybe it's, I've got to prove myself, is what your thoughts are telling you. If you really stop and think about it, maybe your thoughts are saying, well, they've got the perfect life. She's got everything going for her. Things never go my way. I can't find the right person. God doesn't hear me. I'm so fat. Said no man ever. (laughs) But every woman, always. My life is so stressful. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. Think about what your thoughts are telling you. Perhaps it's like, there's no future here. Well, I wonder if there's a, I wonder what's going to happen to my kids. Are they going to be okay? Perhaps your story or the story of your thoughts is not so much a fearful or one of inadequacy. Maybe the story is different for you. Maybe it's a story of pride. Maybe it's if I was in charge, I'd sort that out, no problem. Maybe it's like, I know what they really need. My boss just doesn't get it. He's so stupid. If I were in charge, I'd do things so differently. I wouldn't do it like that. Check what they did on Friday night. I think when I look at it, and when I look at our culture and our society, I'm seeing four patterns of thinking that's prevalent in South Africa at the moment. Four buckets of toxic thinking, if you will. Fearful thinking. Fearful thinking. I think we're living fearfully a lot of the time. 
I wonder what's going to happen. Are they going to take the farms? Are they going to take my property? What does land expropriation without compensation mean? Uh, Maybe you've been a victim of crime, and so you're living fearfully as a result of that. Negative thinking. Ah, check at all the stuff that's gone wrong. Look at what's happened to the rand. Look at what happened to the minister of finance. And we can be negative. We can be negative. You know, South Africa was voted um, last in the misperceptions index. They surveyed 38 countries, asked the residents of those countries to comment on their country, and then compared it to reality. Guess what? South Africa ranked 38th out of 38th in terms of how its citizens perceive its reality. We have the biggest misperception about our country of about anybody in the world, well, not anybody, of those 38 countries. And those were developed countries and developing countries. We are notoriously hard on ourselves as a country. Interesting, hey? So I'm seeing negative thinking. I'm seeing fearful thinking. I'm seeing selfish or self-centered or entitled thinking, perhaps, is the right word. Entitled thinking. I'm entitled to that. Uh, The bad news for anybody who has an entitlement mentality is that the world doesn't reward entitlement. The the world rewards enterprise, it rewards entrepreneurialism, it rewards hard work, it rewards faithful, diligent people who make an honest living. But there's massive parts of our country that feel entitled to stuff. Massive amount of young adults of previously disadvantaged groups in our country who feel entitled to live better than what their parents did. And... And while desire to do so is, is, not, is, is perfectly healthy and is normal, and anybody who grew up poor would want to make sure that they don't stay poor and they don't pass on a poverty legacy to their kids, that's very different to feeling entitled to living differently. Because unfortunately, the world doesn't reward entitlement. And then I'm seeing critical thinking. Critical, like criticism. Oh, check at what they're doing. Oh, look at what the government's done now. Look at what that person's done. Sometimes with good reason, but all I'm saying is we've got to guard against being overly fearful, overly negative, overly critical, and overly entitled. Are you with me this morning? So what's wrong with our brains? I mean, I know there's a lot wrong with mine, and maybe you feel the same. But what is it that makes our thinking go to negative, fearful, entitled, critical? I mean, what's, what's the diagnosis? You know, like if you go up and you say, hey, I've got a sore leg, the doctor's going to diagnose it. What is it that drives and fuels negative thinking? What's the source? What's the reason behind our thinking being as messed up as what it is? It's not that we're human. It's not that we're finite, and it's not that we don't have all the knowledge. That's not it. It's something I want to suggest to you a lot more profound than that. The problem with our thinking is not just that we're human. The problem is not that our thinking is finite. The problem is that our thinking is fallen. In other words, you and I, Think differently to the way God designed and made us to think. Why? Because we live in a fallen world where sin is rampant in our, in our lives and in our world. 
What do I mean by our thinking has fallen? We, we don't ascribe to God. We don't, we, don't, we don't give God the worthiness and the honor that He's due in our lives. We, here's what, fallen thinking doesn't see God as worthy of knowing well. Fallen thinking doesn't treasure him and value him above everything else. Fallen thinking makes our minds hostile to the authority and supremacy of God. That's what fallen thinking. If I had to ask somebody here who I know is, is in, in an ongoing pattern of sin, if I said to them, what you're doing is at odds with the value system of Scripture, that initial offense that's taken that says, like, who are you to tell me? That's fallen thinking. We see ourselves as too important, and we see God as less important. We see our, God, ourselves as too rich, and God as too poor. We see ourselves as too powerful, and Him as too weak. Are you with me? The problem with our thinking is much more profound and much, more, much deeper than simply we're human. The problem is that we're humanistic in our thinking. That we ascribe value and importance to human thinking above godly thinking. That's the problem with fallen thinking. You know, Paul was writing to the church in Rome and he was diagnosing what their problem was, what you, every human being's problem is. It's one of the, it's probably, I think, the th most theologically rich letter in the New Testament. Paul's letter to the Roman church in Romans. And he writes and he says, hey guys, before I tell you about how good God is, let me tell you what the problem is with us, all of us. Goes to Romans chapter 1 verse 23 and he writes, he says, here's the problem. Instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, watch what they do, they being us, all of us, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, he's saying, you and I, Human beings, our fallen minds, we have exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. In a nutshell, is what it boils down to. We've exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man. You say, I haven't done that. That's not me. It must be the, my neighbor. It must be the oak that I'm sitting next to. But watch how this translates into our thinking. So, if you think about it, we're negative. Why? Because we believe what a journalist writes above what God writes in His Word. So we get negative, we get fearful. Why? Because we ascribe more value to the press than we do to the promises of God. I, f I see this in my own life. I, re I read bad news. I go, oh, it's going to become of my kids. Forgetting that God's already made a promise to the righteous in His Scripture. Are you with me? So I do that. And we become critical. Why? Because we've made a God of our culture. So every woman who looks at Cosmopolitan's front cover and says, I don't measure up. Look how fat I am compared to that chick. What's happened is, you've just bought into the lie that culture tells you that's the way to look. So you've, you've ascribed more value to what culture says you should look like than to the body that God has given you. And so you make a God of, cosmo, of the Cosmo culture and, and uh, demean and degrade your own body. It's subtle, but it happens. 
And so we get critical of other people. Why? Because we made a God of ourselves. And so when you make a God of yourself, how could anybody ever measure up to you? Yeah, but he doesn't get it and she doesn't do it right. It's because you've elevated your own importance because you've actually put yourself and myself, we, we, all, we put ourselves on a pedestal. And so our thinking has fallen. What's happened to us is we've gone to the wrong source for our thinking. We've gone to the human source as opposed to the biblical or godly source. Let me describe it to you this way. Just recently I got my pool looking absolutely rocking. It's blue. It's clean. It looks like an HTH ad. You know those ones? Anybody ever won that victory with a pool? I know it's few, you know, it's, it's infrequent, but it, you know you're that moment when you, your pool looks, and you're like, ah. And you know it's significant because it's cost money and time and angst, and you're like, oh, my pool's looking amazing. It looks so inviting. And I was thinking about that pool and thinking about swimming in my swimming pool, and then I was thinking about some pools that we used to swim in as kids in this beautiful, clear river that used to get fed by this beautiful lake in this little town that we used to go to. And I thought about those pools that we used to swim in. Those pools were actually had a brownish tinge to them. Not nearly as attractive as the beautiful blue chemical pool. You know? Why did it have brown? Because it was, it was from the minerals and from the rocks. That came. However, those pools that we used to swim in that were brownish in color didn't look like a sexy swimming pool. You could drink the water in those pools. That's how clean it was. We used to swim and drink. <laughs> Yeah, your mom used to call, do you need something to drink? We're like, no. That's how clean they were. You try and drink a liter from a swimming pool and see what happens to you. I thought about that. It's just like a picture God gave me for what we do. We go to the wrong pool for our thinking. We go to the one that looks sexy and lacquer and blue and nice and clean. And we go to the swimming pool and then we drink of it and we wonder why we get sick. Because God's given us his word, he's given us his wisdom, he's given us his thinking in scripture. And you know what, it doesn't look so nice because it rubs up against, it's less attractive to us, but it's good for us. You with me? It's good for us. And so the question then becomes, if thinking is so important, can we change our thinking? Can we change our thinking? got good news and bad news. Go with the good, bad news first. You know when a kid comes to you and says, I've got good news or bad news, what do you want first? Like, give me the bad news. Like, quickly, let's just get it over and done with. The bad news is this. You can't change your thinking. The good news is your thinking can be changed. Let me say it again. The bad news is you can't change your thinking. The good news is your thinking can be changed. You might say, oh, that's offensive. I can't change my thinking. Don't you know how strong mentally I am? You know it's true. You've tried to change your thinking. It doesn't work. Come on, you've tried. You've tried to stop looking at women that way. It doesn't work. 
Women, you try to stop looking at shoes that way. The lust continues. You know it's true, don't you? You know what I'm saying is true, even though it's rubbing you up a little bit. You can't change your thinking. But your thinking can be changed. So you say to yourself, well, how? So in that same letter, but a few chapters down the line, Paul writes again to the Roman church in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And he writes this. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous miracles? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifices. He goes, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights His heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Now, here's verse 2. This is where... It gets real. Stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture. Stop going to the wrong pool. You with me? But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. Through what? A total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying in your eyes. Now, hang with me here. That word transformed. When Paul says be inwardly transformed, he chooses one very specific word. He goes back to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Goes back to the accounts of Jesus' life. And he picks a word from Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. And he uses that word. Then Jesus' appearance was dramatically altered. A radiant light as bright as the sun poured from his face. Watch this. And his clothing became luminescent. Isn't that awesome? Dazzling like lightning. He was transfigured before their eyes. This word for transfigured, transformed. It only occurs once in all of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John only occurs here. It's the only time you see that word in the Gospels. And Paul is so, he's so desperate to tell us what the Holy Spirit does in our lives that he reaches back to that and he says, oh, how can I describe it to you, the church in Rome? Let me describe it to you like Jesus on the mountain when God transformed him and transfigured him into like a picture of the risen Christ. That's what happens to your life when the Holy Spirit comes in and then begins to invade it. It's that word, it's that that happens. Your face becomes different. Your clothes, I mean, everything about you starts to look different. You can see what's going on on the inside by how you look on the outside. I can see what's going on on the inside of you by looking at the outside of you. Some of you just smiled. You're like, yeah, better. <laughs> I can remember years ago when I, I went to a Presbyterian church uh, that we first got involved with. And I remember I used to m- greet the minister there. His name was um, Reverend Bill Webster. He used to stand. He was the, such a kind man. Yeah, but he used to, sheesh, he used to freak me out because he used to stand and greet me at the door. And I'd say, good morning, Reverend. And he'd say, good morning. How are you? And he'd look into my soul. <laughs> like, hey. <laughs> Looking a little too deep, you know. What's Paul saying? He's saying you can't change your thinking, 
but your thinking can change now. He says, what, he says, watch this, three things. Be transformed. You can be inwardly transformed. It's exclusively and firstly the Holy Spirit's job. John Piper tells us that. He says that it's exclusively and firstly the work of God and the Spirit's work to transform us. So, let me recap. You can be transformed. It's the Holy Spirit's job. He does it by changing your thinking. That anger management thing that you think, if I could only be transformed, you can't yourself. The Holy Spirit can. He does it by your thinking. That overflow of emotion that you battle with so often, you can be inwardly transformed. It's the Holy Spirit's job, not yours. He does it by changing your thinking. That relational problem, you can be inwardly transformed. It's the Holy Spirit's job. He does it by changing your thinking. That physical problem that you've got, you can be inwardly transformed about how you think about that. It's the Holy Spirit's job. He does it by changing your thinking. Everything in your life starts with your thinking. If your thinking's right, your life will be right. Doesn't mean it'll be perfect. It means that the Spirit of God will be able to enable you to think like He thinks about your stuff. That suffering that you're going through, you can be inwardly transformed in the midst of that. The Holy Spirit's job, He does it by changing your thinking. Am I making sense to you this morning? You can't change your thinking. But your thinking can be changed. I want to bring this to a point of application now. And say to you, I just want to give you one practice this morning as to how. One practice. One practice. Something called receiving prayer. Receiving prayer is different to giving prayer. How many of you, when you start to pray, you give God all your problems? You give Him your list? (laughs) You give Him honor, worship, glory, all of that? And we're trained to give in prayer, but not to receive. Giving prayer is a different posture. Giving prayer is a sitting down in a moment of privacy, put your phone away, get rid of it, and you sit, and your goal is to receive from the Holy Spirit. What are you receiving? A reminder that you're loved. You're receiving affirmation of his, as his son and daughter. What are you receiving? You're receiving a conviction about the way that you've been thinking, negative, critical, fearful, entitled. Guess what he does? He begins to just gently prod you Gently remind you, gently challenge you. So how will that work? Well, all of a sudden a thought will pop into your head, hey, yesterday I acted like a complete toss when it came to this thing. You say, that, actor, that thing that you did there, that's because you're entitled. You see, you see when you engage with that person over there, it's because you were fearful. And so what we do is we receive 
communication from the Holy Spirit. You say to me, that sounds weird and like not practical enough. It sounds too easy almost. It's, it's easy until he starts talking to you. Then the real work starts happening. The Holy Spirit's not some, it's not some weird, like strange, like uh, esoteric, like can't be grasped, like weird thing. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. He's the personal presence of God here and now. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, I'm going to send you an amazing gift. His name is the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come and teach you and remind you of all things and guide you and love you and give you everything you need for this life that you're going to live. The Holy Spirit's a person. He has imagination. He has feelings. He has thoughts. He has power. He has words. He has whispers. Yo, I read something so awesome. Pastor Ken showed me a devotional on the Holy Spirit. This, thing, this thought has blown my mind. You know, Elijah goes up to the mountain and there's this big earthquake and there's wind and there's all sorts of drama on the mountain and God's not in all of that. The Bible says God's in, the Holy or the Spirit of God was in the whisper. Okay? The thing about a whisper is that when you whisper, you don't use your vocal cords, you just use your breath. I wonder why the Holy Spirit whispers. Because it's just His breath that He breathes into you. Because when somebody's whispering, you don't, need to be clo- you don't need to be far away. You're close to them. They can just put their breath into you. That's why receiving prayer is so important. You're asking Him to be close. You're asking Him to be close. Why? So He can whisper to you. So He can put His breath into your heart. So you can think differently, feel differently, see differently, speak differently, act differently. Why? Because He's done a work in you. And He whispers. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? As a church, there's a time in our church calendar where collectively we come, we come together to hear the promptings and the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Time of year is coming upon us now in a couple of weeks' time on the 4th of November, where as a church we come to celebrate vision and we come to remind ourselves of the vision of this place. We come to let God lead and we come to let it, ask Him to come and to do miraculous work in our hearts. It's a time when we receive a vision offering and we wait and hear and listen for the whispers of the Holy Spirit about what it is that he would want us to sow and invest. Why? Because we want to leave an echo. This church was built because Pastor Steve and Kathy had faith to trust God for land like this. That left an echo. There have been people in this church who've been here for years, raising up other generations. They leave an echo. You're sitting on seats that somebody else paid for. They left an echo. 
You're sitting looking at technology that other people paid for so that they could leave an echo with their lives. One of the greatest ways that we get to live a life of influence is to wait and listen to what the Spirit of God would want us to sacrifice and give and invest into His church. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't only whisper to encourage you. He whispers to rock your world. He he whispers to inconvenience you. He whispers to unsettle you. He whispers to challenge you. Every year, he whispers inconvenient amounts to Pastor Candice and I. He whispers horrible amounts. (laughs) He whispers. Why? Because he wants to see his work go forward. Receiving prayer. Sit. Listen. Wait. Hear. Obey. That anger issue, let him whisper to you about it. That entitlement issue, let him whisper to you about it. That fear issue, let him whisper to you about it. That anxiety, let him whisper to you. That depression, let him whisper to you. That relational problem, let him whisper to you about it. Are you hearing me this morning or am I whispering too much? (laughs) Thinking's important. It changes the game. Thinking determines everything. You can't change your thinking, but your thinking can change. Thinking determines possibility. Thinking determines influence. Thinking determines the course and direction of our lives. Hey, doesn't it? As it goes our thinking, so goes our lives. When you look at a guy like that, I think to myself, what's my excuse? You can't change your thinking, but your thinking can change. And everybody said, amen. Come, let's pray together, shall we? God, thank you that you're always at work in our lives. Holy Spirit, we want to ask you this moment and in this time together, would you just begin to breathe upon us? Would you begin to whisper to us? Would you begin to comfort us, begin to challenge us, begin to help us, begin to help us see differently, help us to think differently, help us to begin to um, process things differently? Even now, those of us who are fearful, would you begin to address that in our lives? to begin to change our thinking on these things. Those of us who are negative, those of us who are critical, those of us who feel entitled, or if we're really honest, selfish about stuff, would you, would you begin to work in our lives even now? And while we're praying here, why don't you invite him in and just say, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak to me? Would you begin to change me? Would you begin to convict me? Would you begin to do the work that you need to do in my life? This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.